John Burroughs is the CEO of Sell Better by JB Sales, an organization focused on elevating the people and profession of sales through training, content, and events. They train sales teams for companies like Salesforce, Zoom, and LinkedIn, while supporting a thriving community of over 50,000 individual sellers. You're going to learn a lot in this episode, so I hope you're somewhere where you can take notes. But the two areas that really stood out to me in this interview were, one, how to get the most out of sales training programs, and two, managing C players. Uh, John, thank you for being on the show, man. I am a big fan. I've been following you since like 2015, 2016. Uh, first time I had the opportunity to actually see you speak in person uh, was at a sales development training uh, event that we had in Palo Alto at Entries and Horowitz. And I was one of the portfolio Hi. managers. And dude, you just you hit me right away with all your good knowledge. So thank you for being on here. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Derek. Actually, there's a funny quick story on that one real quick. Yeah. So I, this is how ignorant I am of like the big world of finance and that type of stuff. So I was at Dreamforce, right? And previously I had been asked, hey, could you come down and speak to our portfolios, right? And I get, you know, asked, and it was for free. And I was like, ah, all right, well, I'm going to be in San Francisco anyways and Palo Alto, but it was A16Z. Okay? Right, right, right. I had no idea. I honestly was. had no idea who <laughs> A16Z was, right? So I'm like, whatever. So I'm with my boy, Chris, who's with me, right? He's now works as my chief growth officer. And I'm, I'm, I had to bail out of Dreamforce for the afternoon. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to somewhere in Silicon Valley, like, you know, doing this little speech for a group of portfolios. He's like, well, what's the, what's the VC? I was like, I don't know. something like A, A16Z, something, I don't know, something like that. And he stops, he goes, are you fucking kidding me? He's like, you're going to Andrews and Horowitz and speaking to their port. He's like, do you realize who's walked through those doors and how much money you're? And I'm like, huh? And, I, and honestly, I was so ignorant of how big <laughs> Andrews and Horowitz was that I just kind of rolled in there. And like, he made me a little nervous. I'm like, oh shit. And I, and I cause I wasn't dressed <laughs> good. You know what I mean? I was just like, I'm just showing up to do a favor for somebody. So anyways, it was, it was just my, my lack of <laughs> knowledge. All good, man. That, it was, it was fire. I was one of the managers. I brought my team in there and everybody walked away with some goodness. Why you, why you now, yeah. uh, NLP, yeah. You dropped all the good stuff. So I want to learn a little bit about your practice to start out with, if we could. Uh, as you know, the name of the pod here is the sales consultant. And a, lot, a lot of folks tuning in are going to be consultants, trainers themselves and or trying to transition. So can yeah. you tell me what triggers or what, what point typically does a client bring in a professional sales trainer like yourself? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of... It's an interesting, we're trainers, period, right? So there's consultants and there's trainers. I always say we are trainers, not consultants. Trainers are kind of like the grandparents, right? They come in, play with the kids and they leave, right? <laughs> and the managers are are the parents. parents. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that it sticks. Now, consultants, you kind of have to get into that parent role, right? Because like they're they're looking for a little bit longer term agreement. Maybe uncles, us, aunts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for us, we you got to have a structure in place. We do not build your sales organization. We do not, you know, put together a huge plan playbook for you or come up with your go-to-market strategy. But once you have a team kind of set, right? And it doesn't have to be huge, but it's almost like this middle ground of the growth phase. We don't work really work well with huge enterprises. Um, and we, we're, we're, we don't work well with very, very small as far as the corporate side of the house of what we do. But we got two main programs. One's called Filling the Funnel and the other's called Driving to Close. Filling the funnel is all about getting meetings. So prospecting, driving a close is all about negotiations, objection, handling, closing, and all that stuff. And so we have kind of this one-two punch that covers the full gamut of uh, the sales process. And 
the reason I was attracted to this in the first place when I took it was because it wasn't necessarily a methodology. You know, I, I took people are like, oh, I go, you know, Sandler or Miller Hyman, these methodologies. I remember growing up in sales and when I was 23 years old, looking at all, you know, starting my first company, not knowing anything about sales. I was, took every training I could. And I remember thinking like, okay, these, these methodologies, they figured it out, right? So they must have this, I'm going to buy into their the whole stuff, hook, line and sinker. But then I would walk out of these trainings going, well, some of that was good, but like most of it was pretty shit. Um, so, so what I started doing was taking pieces out of all the different methodologies. And then when I came across the, the, the original company called Basho, which was the training, um, that, that Jeff Hoffman, who was the original right. founder of, of that, I sat through that training and it was like a light bulb went off because it was, it wasn't a methodology. It was tactics. It was, it was technique driven and, and it worked and it was super immediately applicable. There wasn't role play involved. It was like, Hey, here's how to send an email. Now send an email. Let's open up your laptop, go on a website, research this, send it this way. Here's how to make a cold call. We're going to make a cold call in class with that approach. And it just, for me, it just hit because I'm a very keep it simple, stupid guy. Like I, the reason I don't like books, for instance, and I wrote a children's book that's behind you. Thank you very much again. <laughs> yeah, um, is because I think most books are full of fluff, mm. right? There, there's usually one or two really good concepts in there that you can pull back from. But then the other, then they have to fill the book with 200 some odd pages so they can charge $24.95. I'd much rather have, I'd rather, I'd pay $24.95 if you gave me just the two nuggets and made it so I didn't have to read the whole stupid book. Right. <laughs> the trainings. Yeah. I sit there in a training. Mm. I spend eight hours in a training, so, listen to some dipshit like me talk. And I walk away thinking, oh, there's something I can put in the subject line. Well, at least I got something out of this. I would have rather had the person just stand up and be like, hey, who wants to put them in the subject line? Go get seven hours and seven and a half hours of your time back. And I'd probably- That could have been an problems. email. <laughs> yeah. So so in me, for me, that that get to the point is is was really resonated. And so mm. that's what we really try to do. It I don't, our content and our training doesn't really conflict with a lot of other, it actually supports it because it is very technique driven and structure oriented, not script oriented. And so companies bring us in, Probably the, the most finite way to put this is when they're at their inflection point. And uh, when I say inflection point, a lot of companies will grow pretty rapidly, right? Through right. inbound lead generation or marketing. And then they kind of level off a little bit. And when they level off, one of two things happens. They either have to move from the seed and grow approach to the top down, right? So now they have to go enterprise down or AEs who have had like a hundred percent of their book given to them by marketing and SDRs. Now they have to self-source like 20, 30% of their book, right? When that inflection point happens, this training hits a home run, right? But it's not for like super complex sales or any of that stuff. Even though our prospecting stuff is universal. Uh, okay. I think our prospecting stuff's the best in the business. Got it. What do you think blocks your clients and some engagements from getting the full value of what you and your team bring to the, to the engagement. We're in a, we're in a weird spot because we're not, we're right in the middle in the sense that we're not big enough or we don't charge enough, right? Our ACV is 20, 30 grand, right? So usually when you get to engagement, it's 20, $30,000, which mm -hmm. is a decent amount of money, mm -hmm. but, it, but it's not like Miller Hyman. It's not like Taz where you're dropping half million, $2 million. Like when you're dropping a half a million dollars on training, you have buy-in from the top all the way down and you better, and you're going to measure the hell out of that and drive it, right? So you're almost forced as far as the adoption is concerned, just because purely how much money you're spending. 
Now, on the other side of the equation, we're not like a Sandler that is charging, you know, $250 an hour, 2,500 bucks. And that's kind of like throw it on your credit card, see you later. So who cares? I'm going to give that to my reps. We're right in the middle there. So it's funny. We get in conversations where we're expensive enough to, to, for the executive to feel like they're investing in their team, but not expensive enough for them to care about the long-term application of it. And, and it's funny because I get in a lot of conversations with executives and they talk about ROI. Well, what's the ROI or your training and da, da, da. And I'm like, give me a break with this ROI fucking conversation. I go, all right, here, let me ask, what are your current conversion ratios to your tier one accounts? Um, uh, VPs of sales of the main persona using an email cadence. What's that? What's that conversion ratio right there? And they'll be like, I don't, I don't know. Okay. So what's your conversion you. ratio from stage one to stage two? Da, 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 and I'll kind of dissect it and I'll, and eventually I'll stop and I'll say like, can we just be honest here? How much of this is that you're just, you just want to show your team you're investing in them versus measuring any real direct KPI or something like that. And, and wow. a lot of it will just kind of be like, yeah, this is okay. So can we stop with this? Now, if you want to do this right, I am all in with you. Right. But the biggest thing is, is the adoption of it is is really predicated on the per, on whether or not somebody internally can take the training and own it okay yeah i start all my trainings off like this 10 60 30 okay when i was doing a training one time i did a there's like 400 people in front of me and did a q and a afterwards and one of the kids say hey john you, i looked at your logo list man like you train all of our competitors so if you're going to train us all on the exact same stuff how do we differentiate and I said 10, 60, 30. I said 10% of you in this room are going to take what I tell you and execute and run it because that's you know at the highest level because that's the type of people you are. 60% of you are going to do something different because it's easy and it makes sense. 30% of you ain't going to do shit different. So the question isn't how many people can I train? The question is, is what percentage do you want to be in? And so left to their own accord, sales reps, 10, 60, 30. I mean, you know it, you, yeah, you've been yeah. in a class before. The people who sit in the front of the room and are asking questions, the people who are on Zoom and have their video on and are actually engaged. Stay I after class, come you, up to you and ask you for clarification. I promise you those are the top 10% of that sales team. Promise mm, you. Yeah. The ones who are on their video, but maybe not engaged, those are probably in the 60%. And the people who don't have their video on, those are part of the 30%, right? And so without somebody internally who can take the training and own it and implement it and manage it, it is what it is, just like every other training. But man, if you have arm, somebody yeah. internally who mm -hmm. owns it, you can do some special things. And so that's what we look for. We look for somebody who can take the training like enablement or whoever that it, that is going to take it. And I will work with them directly afterwards to say, okay, here's how to implement this. Here's how to coach towards this and everything else. But I'm not going to get into, because they'll, they'll also ask me, so what's your reinforcement plan? My direct right. answer to a manager when they ask me or an executive, when they ask me what your reinforcement plan is, where are your managers going to be in the training? Are they going to be? This is why I asked the question, quite frankly, because it's a frontline management. It's a frontline manager thing. The, the, the shame of sales training is, look, we're undereducated as sales professionals in general, Fair. but sales managers are insanely undereducated on how to actually be a real good manager and a coach. And we, yeah, and that's neglected. I was having this conversation with Hillman uh, Sore recently. You might know him, Coach CRM, but he uh, was mentioning this. And we were talking about how frontline managers are somewhat on an island in, in some yep. cases. And they're not, not only they're not well educated because most of them come up with, within the ranks, I did. Um, yep. It's the resource enablement. We, we focus so much on the, the IC and uh, not enough on that middle manager and getting them those, those skills that they need because it's completely different, as you know, from, from selling. 
we also promote the wrong ones in the management. We promote the best reps. And I will tell you nine times out of 10, the best rep is not going to be the best manager right. because the best rep is usually what I would consider the artist in the sense that they're just good at what they do. They have strong work ethic. They know where to invest their time, all that stuff. And they can't really articulate it or put a structure to it to teach it to other people. Well said. But because they are the best rep, we say, okay, cool. Here, you're, you're the manager now. Teach everybody else to do what you do. And they, and they get up there and they're like, what do you mean do what I do? Like, this is what I do. Like, just do it. I'd rather have the B plus rep, the rep who can come to me and say, like, usually the A rep will hit their number, but they really won't be able to tell you how they hit their number. They just, they just do because they know how to do it. The B plus rep who can come to me and say why they did or did not hit their number and break it down for me. So, hey, John, all right, so here's the deal. I've been looking at my territory and I, I, I did this many activities and conversion ratios were here. And look, where I fell down the most was when I got to this stage. So this is where I need some help because next time if I get more of this, I, I think I'll be able to hit. Like if you can walk through your process, a process, I can teach a process. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can't teach you how to be, you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't teach, teach you swagger. Ethic. I can't teach you confidence. Yeah, I, can't, I can't, yeah. I can't teach that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, but I can teach process. I can teach structure. And so I want the kid who is the B plus rep to be my manager because they, they won't need as much investment because they know, they know they're a science oriented driven person. Whereas the A rep will need some training on how to be a manager because they can't articulate what they do to everybody else. Fair, fair. I want to talk to you about practicing some of the lessons that Practice. come out of your, your trainings as well. Right. I think that's oh. part of the thing that blocks us from getting value yeah. as well as not actually putting this stuff into practice. So this morning you, you posted about the importance of practicing on certain types of accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, something I try and drive home as often as possible, try and facilitate role-playing as often as possible. Yeah. I think you're taking it beyond role-playing. What is your approach or your thought process on why reps don't practice enough and how can leaders help get them to practice more often? Yeah, we, we don't, we don't allow failure in sales. We don't, um, we don't give them room to, to try things. We, we mm. practice on the fly. You know what right, I mean? Like right. this is literally the only profession that we go through boot camp and then go in and have to do our job. Right. I mean, think about a basketball, think about a basketball player, right? Being like, all right, you got, you got 30 days where you're going to learn how to play basketball. And then I'm going to put you on the court with uh, Kobe and you know what I mean? Or, you know, whatever. Staff or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Uh, 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 <laughs> right. So you got to go through the JV league. You got to go through the, you know what I mean? And, right, and you got to right, go on right. the, on the, on the courts outside and figure that stuff out. But you, but you need to do it in my opinion, in a real world scenario. Okay. I personally don't like role-playing. I just don't. Um, because, and the reason I don't like role-playing is because I think it's done wrong for the most part. Right. It's I usually agree. this insanely, uh, it's either the most ridiculous scenario you've ever seen, which would probably never happen or like the perfect scenario and the trainer doing the role play is usually doing it because they're so fucking good at it. And, and it, and it looks beautiful when they do it. It's like, Oh my God, look at how great they are, but it's because they've done it a billion times before. And the reality of you being able to do that in a real world scenario is not high where role-playing I think has an impact is right before you're about to do the thing. So for instance, if you're about to have a cold call blitz, yeah, 
right before that cold call blitz, let's do some role playing just to get the juices going here. You know what I mean? And get the flow mm -hmm. down. But then practice, but consciously practice. And this is where when I said I we what we do is we coach clients to break their accounts, tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier ones, those are the tier, those are the top 25. Those are the ones you follow on social. You're super customized with your approach to you make sure you got your shit together when you make those calls. Tier twos, those are you can do volume, right? You can be direct, you know, maybe um, you know, persona driven, that type of stuff, but they're still decent accounts. Tier threes are the kind of crappy accounts. Now, I used to throw away crappy accounts. I used to be like, get away from me. You're bad. Why would I even waste my time? Mm -hmm. I don't even want to. Now I absolutely love them because now anytime I'm trying something new, I rip a list of my tier threes and I throw up all over myself. Who cares? As long as I'm not saying anything offensive, I can kind of get to wherever I want to do. And a perfect example is pricing. A lot of reps have a challenge when talking about pricing because they're just not confident in talking about pricing. Right. So if you're not confident talking about pricing, the last thing you want to do is get in a conversation with a great prospect and deliver pricing like when they ask you and they say well how much is this and you're like well you know it's uh you know it, it, it's ten, it's 10 grand but um but it really depends on what you what what you know <laughs> right by the way as soon as you say ten thousand dollars but it really depends on it's no oh, longer I heard it was 10,000 and then I'll tell you it's discounted. Got you. Yeah. It's, it's no longer discounted. You know, it's, it's no yeah. like at me as the buyer you took away all the value of 10,000. You just dropped right. it. Yeah. Well, and by the way, like if I'm a, if I'm a prospect of yours and you sell me 10,000, but I might've been talking to your competitors and I heard 20 grand, I heard 15 grand, I heard 30. And then you said 10 and I was like, good Lord, like that actually is reasonable. And, but as soon as the word, but comes out of your mouth, I ain't paying 10 grand on that. You just gave me a discount before I even asked for it. What's going to happen if I ask for it? I could tell notes, you. Notes, people. Take this. those notes. He's giving game away. Right? So mm -hmm. so what I want to do is I want to rip a list of my tier three accounts, actually get into deals with them. And when the pricing conversation comes up, I'm going to practice shutting the hell up after I say $10,000. So if you say, if Derek, you're like, hey, John, all right, goes, this looks decent, man, and whatever. So how much are we talking here? $10,000. And I'm just going to shut the hell up and be as awkward as all get up to see how that feels and see how you react. Right. First because one to guess speak what? You're loses, grab confidence. Losing isn't the right word, but uh, the first one to speak. That, exactly. That and guess what? There might be a person, you might be like, all right, John, send me over the contract. Guess what happens to my confidence when that, when that happens? It goes through mm -hmm. the roof, right? Or, or might be ready for those bees if I do that 10 times. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you object. And guess what? We're going to practice there, Derek. Objection techniques. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Derek, help me understand here. $10,000 you say is too expensive, but you told me that earlier you missed your quota by 20% last year and your ACV is $50,000 and your, your target was 10 million. So back in African math here, man, that's like a, I don't know, I'm making up numbers here, but like, that's like I'm a, you. you know, a half a million dollar problem. Like that's like a million dollar problem. And am I missing something? Like how, because what I tell people when I tell them my price, that's why to me, like the nuanced things of what you get in the sales process are going to help you with objection handling. Because I sell to people who have ACVs of twenty of around my size, twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars. Because if I sell you, if if you got five hundred bucks, if your ACV is five hundred dollars, it's going to be hard hard for me to justify you spending twenty thirty grand on training, right? But if your ACV is twenty thirty forty fifty G's. We are not having a conversation about pricing, Derek, because I'm going to say, wait, 50,000. So please look, let's stop talking about price here. It's not that we're too expensive. You just don't believe 
that my solution can solve your problem. That's what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. Because you have a million dollar problem. I'm telling you, I got a $10,000 solution for you. And you just, so don't tell me I'm too expensive. Tell me you don't believe that I can do what I, and that takes practice though. That, that, conf that confidence practice, to be able yeah. to say that to somebody yeah. and be okay with them bailing on you and saying, piss off, I'm out of here. We look, we all need to find that line between being direct and being rude. All of us. And guess what? You have to go over that line to figure out where it is. You know what I mean? I do. You 100%. want to get to be as direct as possible in the sales process without being rude. And that takes practice. That takes crossing that line. That takes getting a few people pissed off so you can kind of say, mm, okay, here's where it is and here's my style. And once you practice down there, then you start moving up because your confidence will grow and it'll get bigger and it'll get bigger. Right. But that's why I like practicing and being conscious of it, not just doing it haphazardly throughout the week because you know I we book time. This is going to be our tier three time. We're going to call into shitty accounts. We're going to you know get shitty deals in our pipeline. We're going to do these things this week, that type of stuff. So in terms of operationalizing that, if someone was onboarding and you had a program, you would constantly you would pull from that bucket for the oh, new hire and make absolutely. sure they have a period of time to call on these tier threes or these you know, whether they're accounts or old dormant leads that, you know, we don't really care if they convert yep. or not. Same thing, right? Yep. Um, but then on an ongoing basis, when you have someone who's struggling and you know they need to practice certain mm -hmm. areas of their game, whether it's opening the call or so forth, same yep. thing. Let's bring back that tier three, bring back those old leads and let's yep. get to practicing. And I know you said you're not a big fan of role-playing, but it sounds like there is a place somewhere a place. in that process for role-playing. If it's like structured right appropriately, though, that's the thing, right? Like we don't want to make it too easy. What do you think about using internal personas, right? If I'm selling... Uh, legal software or finance software, wouldn't I bring in my GC, my general counsel? Wouldn't I bring in my CFO to do that role play with me? That'd be, yeah, that'd be cool. That would be helpful. Again, I, you know, I, again, I'd make it actionable. So afterwards they're applying it. I think it's great to, so you bring up a great point. I don't think clients um, leverage their internal resources nearly as much as they should. You know, I remember uh, a while back, you know, my reps would come to me like, John, you know, I'm having a really hard time getting through gatekeepers and, you know, any, any advice. And I'd be like, hold on a second. Hey, um, Shelly. Uh, yeah, John. Uh, Shelly, um, are you a gatekeeper? Yeah, John. Uh, Shelly, do you get a bunch of calls from sales reps all day long um, trying to get through to me? Yeah. Uh, do you let some through and others not? Yeah. Uh, do you mind talking to one of my reps here about how to get through a gatekeeper? Like, sure. So I, so there's one thing about knowledge and then there's another thing about role play. I would lean, sure. I personally lean a little bit more on the knowledge side from those personas because I want to be educated. I want to talk like Derek, if you're a CRO, right? In my company, I, I want to hear from you. What do CROs really care about, Derek? Like what's a day in the life look like in a CRO, you know, in, in your world? So I can have some empathy for you. So I actually can put a face to a name when I'm talking because I call it the give a shit factor where, where I play is between the give a shit factor and unconscious competence. That's where I play. I cannot get you to give a shit. That's on you, okay? I like but once you care, once you once you are interested in learning, once you care about continuous improvement, once you're genuinely curious about being better, I will give you every tip, tool and technique you can possibly imagine. So, because those tips and tools and techniques, you need them when you start because you don't know what you don't know. So you need some structure, you need some stuff to get you in moving in the right direction. But eventually all sales professionals 
after they do it enough and if they're uh, uh, you know really working on their craft they do rise to that unconscious competence level and that's when you don't need any of the techniques that's when you don't need any because it's just it's just part of you like i train a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. that i don't technically use in a structured format but i use because if you were paying attention you'd watch how i would use it just in a much more smooth way because it's just internalized because i've done it so often in my career mm-hmm. so i think that's where you know those that that is that's role that, that's techniques but that's a application so it's not just like this i'm studying it's like you, you know you study for a test you take the test and you never think about it again you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah. that's like role play it's like all right i'm gonna do my role play it's gonna be awkward my boss is gonna want me to do it i'm gonna stand up i'm gonna go make sure i you know do what my boss says and then whatever i gotta get back to the mic on calls and do whatever i do right but if you if you tie it to like for instance forecast reviews forecast reviews are good but most managers look at the numbers where are we on this deal what do we need to grow this one forward right it's not a coaching i think forecast reviews are the best place to do coaching hmm. because you could say okay well look at this deal all right where are we on this one well da, 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 da. okay cool well what's your next action item with them uh, i got a meeting next uh at the, the, at the end of the week okay what's what's our goal for that meeting what what are we going to try to get in that meeting that'll make us feel good that we're moving in the right direction strategize around maybe it's a meeting with power maybe it's whatever that type of thing okay Cool. Let's role play that out, Derek. I'm going to be your main point of contact. I am not power. I am not the decision maker. You are going to try to get to my boss. This is this this is for this meeting that you have coming up on Thursday. Let's let's run this through. And now you're going to be like, "Hey John, how's it going? It was great to be." So, John, can I talk to your boss? You know, and you're going to come with some dumbass like, "Hey, can I talk to your boss?" And I'm going to say, "Piss off," right? Who other than yourself? <laughs> right? And then you're going to have to handle that objection. Right, right. Right? And then we're going to chop it up a little bit. So then when you go into that scenario, you've at least stretched out a little bit sure. and, and you might be, have a clue of how this is going to go, right? right? You'll be prepared right. for it. It's so like watching film for an upcoming game. You use the basketball analogy. Right. And if we know we're playing LeBron, then we're watching LeBron's tape and we're preparing for his post move down on the block or whatever yeah. that specific thing is. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you Good. know it, right? So you, you, I've seen this before, right? All right, cool. So Perfect. that's where I think role-playing has a real big impact. But I personally am all about live application. I, I think that's the where people hands learn. on. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I think that's we'll definitely take that. I think that's I've been leaning towards the role play a lot mm-hmm. in, in my coaching. I think definitely taking your advice and we're going to get some live stuff that they can get out there and practice on before practicing on the good prospects. And that's yeah. <laughs> what you don't want to be doing. Switching yeah. gears with you a little bit yep. back to your, your, your practice. We talked about getting value and what an engagement looks like. And it doesn't, it doesn't always go uh, optimally. Sometimes things go left. Have you ever had to fire a client? And if if you can share anything, uh, what happened, maybe a story around it, I, I would appreciate that. Yeah, uh, a couple of them. Oh, um, I actually have fired a lot of clients in, in the past. Um, I'll, I'm going to go early in my career for the company that I started, and then I'll come to a couple of recent ones. But early in my career, you know, this is where when you're starting, and, and this is actually good for, for consultants. Um, right, right. When you're starting off as a consultant, like, you know, like, hey, you, you take the leap, okay? There is a tendency, you need, in my opinion, you need at least six months runway of, of money in the bank before you want to go off on your own, give or take, okay? Yep. Because if you don't, what happens is you chase bad money. You take money from anybody who will give it to you, right? 
And it's not really your perfect ICP or really where you add the most value, but you'll take on anything. So that's what we did when I first started my first company. We did outsourced IT services and we would literally take anybody who had computer problems, right? Like give us, you know, 10 hours, you want to, you know, hourly rate stuff, fine, no problem. But what our goal was, was recurring revenue, right? So we needed people on a recurring revenue platform that would pay us $3,000 a month, whatever. Right. So we would get these clients and, but what it would do is distract us from really getting the clients that we're going to truly build our business. And then what happened eventually, unfortunately, is we we got to a point where we had enough of those clients that we had to then go back to these clients and fire them, basically. we had Or we had to come to them and say, hey, thanks so much for helping us get here. Um, here's a new package. I know it's 10 times more than you've ever spent before with us, um, but this is our new plan. And if you don't go on this plan, we can't support you anymore. Mm. And that's not a fun conversation. There could be like, dude, we, like we were here from you at the start. We're like, and it's like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, but it just doesn't fit our model. So you 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 actually even though you're paying the bills with bad money you're actually retarding your growth Ooh. in a lot of ways because you're you're not focusing on what you should focus on so first and foremost you need to make sure you you go for the right revenue the right clients okay now Thank fast you. forward to where i am today um i fired a couple of clients uh one um for values oriented stuff because of mm -hmm. how they treated my employees um oh. Uh, they were, you know, a couple of clients like VPs of sales, big brain, you know, look at me, rah, rah, rah. And I have my, all my trainers are women. Um, and they would treat them poorly wow. Wow. and want to talk to me. Cause I'm Kudos you know, for that. Like, hey, what's up, dude, you know, like that. Da, da, da. And I would talk to my team and I'd say, and they'd be like, I'd be like, so how's it going with X, Y, Z? And they'd be like, well, you know, they're, they're okay. You know, and even clients who were like spending good money with us. And I, you know, when I hear the, they're okay. I, whoa, what's going on? And I dig into it and I find out that the VP of sales or some reps on the team are abrasive and talk down to her and that type of stuff. And I've called the VP of sales and say, like, hey, uh, I know we have another couple of sessions coming up here. We're good. I'm going to give you your money back. Um, and, and I actually don't want to do business with you anymore. And they'd be like, what the fuck, man? I'm like, what's, things are going good. I go, no, no, no. You treat my employees like shit. And the customer's not always right. Anybody who thinks the customer's always right is full of shit. Right. Your employees Invest in your employees and get in your customers will be fine. Okay. But if you take bad customers, just because it's just like having a, a, an A player on your team. If you have an A player who's making it rain, okay, but is a raging asshole and mm. toxic to the team environment, unfortunately, most companies are chicken shit to fire that kid. I'll fire that kid in a heartbeat. I will fire that kid in a heartbeat. I will I will jump back in myself to do revenue shit before I take some asshole who's going to ruin my culture, right? So I fired clients for values uh, purposes. Um, I've also fired clients because we just didn't enjoy working with them because there's something, and you know this, it, there's when you take money from people to do a job, great, right? That's money and, and you do the job. But if you can, if you don't think you're, making a difference it that money doesn't really fill the gap if you will so a lot of times and we talked about this before where if we do trainings for instance and there's one client i'm not going to say their name uh but they're a rather big one um for for years it was great but recently over the past three or four years um it hasn't been fun because with with covid again the app the 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 lack of caring mm. when we do a training now remotely you got 30 people on fiverr on video the managers aren't engaged they don't take advantage of the follow-up sessions that we pre-book 
the managers don't do the prep work. So you're sitting there staring at three to four reps, knowing that the other 25, 30 are not paying attention, knowing that the managers are not going to be reinforcing this. And and it's disheartening. It's not enjoyable. There's no much, how much money you're giving me. Like, it's just, it's not fulfilling. And so we like making a difference. And when we could tell that we're not making a difference, we self-select out. So there's been clients where I've had to have the conversation with the executive team after that. Like, so usually what will happen is I'll sell the, the VP and then it'll get delegated down to whoever else. And the VP tends to go away and let the training run. And at a certain point, I'll, I'll reach out to the VP and be like, look, I know we have these sessions coming up here. I got to be honest with you. Like, by the way, never say that. Sorry. I, I, I need to be direct with you. Um, we don't enjoy working with your team. Uh, there's an apathy here that I, I can't get through. The less than five, two to five reps every time are actually seem to give a shit. And it doesn't look like your managers are going to do anything with this. So look, we'll take your money if you really want me to, but I, it's just, it's just not working for us. We don't enjoy working with you because we know we're not making the difference that we could, you know, and then the VP gets all hot and bothered and maybe goes and yells at some people or whatever it is. But there's been times like, you know, one of our bigger clients came to us and said, sorry, John, we're going to have to cancel our contract with you. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled. Yeah. And by the way, this was one of those clients that helped me build my company that literally helped me build my company. Important and they came and lessons. Said, and they said, John, um, we've, you know, and it was funny because like we were quote unquote catching up and all of a sudden I get on a zoom call and there's this person I've never seen before in my life, right on the zoom. And she's a product manager. This, this felt like HR a thousand percent. I'm like, am I getting fired? I even <laughs> said that. I like, I was like, uh, nice to meet you. She's like, yeah, I'm the program manager here. And you know, I'm, I'm pretty new to the team. I go, am I getting fired? And she's like, oh, well, you know, and then, then the other guy comes on and he's like, Hey, John, right. And I'm like, and he's like, well, we got, we got some tough news for you here, man. I'm like, what? And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, well, you know, we've decided to sign this huge contract with this massive vendor, blah, blah, blah. And we have to kind of stop our contract with all other vendors and we have to go all in with them. So we're going to have to, you know, cancel our, our moving forward. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, do you need anything for me? And he goes, and you could tell he was like waiting for me to be like, no, no, man, come on and negotiate and all that. <laughs> what can I do? Stuff. What can I do? Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. So do you need anything for me? And she, he was like, what? And I, and I said to him, I said, can I be very direct with you? I go for the past three years, we have not enjoyed working with your organization because your wow. reps don't care. Your managers never show up. And we know it's not making the difference that it can. My trainers get demoralized every time they train your team. So whoever you've gone with, I hope you can fix that problem of the lack of caring, because I don't care what you spend. If your reps don't care, it ain't going to work. And so thank you for firing us. I appreciate it. You actually fixed the problem for me because right. I was trying to figure out how to come to you because this wasn't one that it was like, oh, a small client, fuck off. Like this was like a, a big boy. You know what I mean? And and I was thrilled that now, did they get to me to where I am today? Absolutely. So do I have all love and respect for them? And will I ever talk shit about them? Absolutely not. But everything has a cycle, right? Right. right? We all have seasons. We all go through things. And that's like, you have to understand as a, as a consultant, you also have to understand your lifetime value of that client. For us, as long as you're growing, 
you know, we probably have about a two to three year life cycle with you, as long as you're growing, right? Because we can train new hires and that type of stuff. But if you're not growing, you know, probably a year, we'll get in and we'll get out and we have to bake that into our approach. Well, thank you for that. I think those are tremendous lessons for anybody who's looking to transition or anybody who's been doing this for a while or has clients like that, that they're facing. That's that's real life uh, situations that are hard to navigate. So I hope you guys were writing those those lessons down. John, I want to ask you about coaching and feedback, and it kind of ties into what you were talking about now and being direct and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I'm going to load this up a little bit, so bear with yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, accountability, I think, is in some cases under attack. It's, it's, it's hard to have conversations with folks that are underperforming. Managers are struggling to navigate these conversations. We have HR business partners coming in at the top, making sure that, you know, and scrutinizing our conversations, making sure that we're really mindful of this approach. Moreover than, you know, more than ever, you know, with 2023 potential recession on the, you know, coming up, we need to be as productive as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some comments about unproductive folks and mm-hmm. how that affects the business. Benioff, uh, Mark Benioff, sales law, Salesforce, I'm sorry, was in the news recently. And some of the comments that he had in, in an all hands meeting leaked. Uh, and it had to do with people being unproductive and, and so forth. So can you talk to me about how maybe leaders or managers can go about giving feedback to folks that maybe aren't as productive as they should be, because that's our job, right? As managers and leaders is to kind of help coach people up and work them back to that B plus player that you mentioned earlier. Uh, So talk to me about how you deliver coaching and feedback with your team and what that approach might be if you were running a SaaS team of your own. Yeah. So it's, it's consistent and it's objective as much as possible. Um, I always say, if you are in a performance review, if anything you're about to tell a rep in a performance review is a surprise, then you're a shitty manager. If a rep walks in not knowing what you're going to talk to them about and their weak strengths and weaknesses and all, and you lay the hammer on them when they thought that they were doing okay, then you're a jackass manager. You're you're a terrible agreed. manager. Totally. Agreed. So you need to be early and often with feedback, and you need to be objective with it. So you need to set. Um, set you set the right expectations like what are you tracking what do you measure what do you want them to do and by the way now the why is more important than ever we Mm. used to and i actually i I had an interesting talk track on this one as far as how we need to evolve as leaders and managers and the analogy i use right now unfortunately is my favorite team of all time the new england patriots um bill belichick what is and I will fight anybody on this, is the greatest coach of all time up until recently. His style, do your job. It it basically run the system. Shut up. Don't ask any questions. Do what I tell you to do. And for 20 years, even though, you know, with Tom Brady there, he was able to get away with that. Okay. But now we're in a different world, okay? Mm-hmm. The kids coming into, like now college players can get you know paid for their persona. So they come into the league as their brand and that's how they're thinking about it. I mean, the average tenure of, a, of, a, of an NFL player is 3.3 years, 3.3 years, not for long. So they walk into this like as a brand. And so it's no longer do what I tell you to do. They're going to question what you're telling them to do. Why am why are we doing this? How right? And Belichick can't adjust to that. He can't. Mm. He hates people questioning his ability. So that's why he's ruined Mac Jones. That's why he's you know brought in Matt Patricia because Matt Patricia is basically just a yes man to him. Mm. 
And the game has passed him by, in my humble opinion, okay? Because these players do not respond to that. It's the same thing in our world. These kids coming out of school, they're not like when I was like, when I was coming out of school, it was do your fucking job. Do your job. I tell you, put your head down, earn it. And then we'll tell you when you get promoted type of thing. You know what I mean? That's not the case anymore. That like, we have to evolve as leaders. We have to be more empathetic. We have to give them a, a better understanding of why we're doing what, why we're asking them to do these things. So if we start with the why, right? And maybe backing it, like most managers make 50 dials, right? Shut up, make 50 dials. Well, here, if I would explain to you, hey, Derek, the reason I want you to make 50 dials is because we've actually run the numbers at a macro level. And if you make 50, typically the conversion ratios are this and da, 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 and therefore you're going to get paid more. And by the way, if you do that and, and we track it this way, I'm going to be able to figure out where the gaps are and coach you on very specific things. That's why I need you to make 50 dials. Oh, okay. I'll make 50 dials. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll figure that out. So I think it's, it's setting clear expectations of what people are being held accountable for. Okay. And then being extremely transparent with how you're tracking it. And yep. from an accountability standpoint, and by the way, my my biggest weakness is accountability. I, I that For me personally, I will get into a forecast review all day long, Derek, and I'll be like, we'll get strategy and all that other stuff. But when you miss your forecast, oh, fuck, I, I, I don't want to have <laughs> the this hardest conversation. part of the job. <laughs> like, I just don't yeah. want to have this conversation. Like I've never put somebody on PIP because I don't even like... I'm like, like, I don't even want to have this. But yeah. that's what I mean is exactly that. That's why right. account- accountability, I feel like is under, it's so hard to have that well, conversation a lot of times, even if you have been clear and transparent and they're still well, underperforming, it's like, hey, well, it's it's talking about this. I think it's one of those things where if you put the dashboard up there and every week that person's at the bottom of the dashboard and you've done your coaching and they're not right. adapting. It's, it's almost a self-select. Like you, I think you get to a point where you're like, okay, okay. like d- obviously this isn't working right now, the way that we coach, and this is something I learned from Jack Welsh. Um, Cause I worked for Jack Welsh for a couple of months with his online MBA program. And a lot of people give him a lot of shit for his top grading and everything else, but he, he wasn't as draconian as people thought, you know, always fire your bottom 10%. Um, but the way that you manage is your A's, B's, and C's. Okay. You got your A reps, your B reps, and your C reps. Um, and you had said earlier, you want to coach your B's to be A's, right? You got to pretty much assume that your A's are rented space because they're either going to go somewhere else to make more money, or they're going to be a manager or something like that. So you got to almost treat them as rented space. And what you do with your A's is you basically set longer term goals and you let them set the outcome. So it's like, Hey, Derek, if you were one of my A reps, I'd be like, all right, Derek, say you hit your target this year. Um, um, Outside of the revenue, all that, it's like, what are you going for, man? Like, like, w- what would be special to you if you hit your number like 120% of quota? And you'd be like, oh, man, I'd love to drive a Ferrari. I'd love to get an extra week off or whatever it is. But I'll let you determine that, okay? And then I'll let you go. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to over-communicate with you. I'm going to be like, hey, Derek, this is what's going on. But I'm not going to micromanage you in any way, shape, or form. I'm just going to, hey, we good? We good? You good? All right, need anything for me? Cool. You be players. You want to be a little bit more short-term with. You want to collaborate on their goals and those type of things. But we're we're looking more like on a quarterly basis. Like instead of the year, we're going to look at quarter. We're going to look at the month. We're going to look at that type of stuff. And we're going to put things in to say, okay, did you do these things over the quarter? And we're going to touch base. The C reps. The problem that, that managers that I find is that mo- a lot of managers, they focus almost all their efforts on their Cs. Good point. And what you're doing with that is actually a really bad thing. 
because we used to do management coaching. And if you put a, a, a thermometer or like a, you know, say you got your B's in the middle and you got A's mm -hmm. over here and your B's over here. Um, if you put a magnet on your A's and your B's and you say, okay, well, I'm sorry, your A's and your C's and you say, okay, well, which way do you think the, the B's would lean, right? Well, the, the obvious answer is, well, they'll probably lean to your A, towards your A's, right? Not so much. Because mm. let's pan this out. Say, say you're in a team meeting and manager comes in and drops the new commission plan and the new commission plan's shit, right? Everybody's mad, whatever. What does the A rep do when they get their new commission plan? Even if it's shit, what do they do? They dissect it and find out how they're going to keep on making money. Exactly. They bounce from the meeting. They go immediately either leave or they get to their desk and they start figuring out how they can make the most money with Crack this thing. Right? Yeah. What does the C rep do? Complains and says to everyone else, doesn't, doesn't this suck and creates alliances and toxic and it becomes toxic. So the B rep is sitting there. I want to be like the A rep, but the A rep's gone. Who's sitting next to me bitching? Hey man, you want to go out to grab some lunch and fucking like talk about this shit? Well, yeah, because I'm mad. I'm I, I don't like this either. So mm -hmm. I want to. So guess who gets dragged down? And by putting all of your attention on your C's, what you're telling your B's and your A's is you have to suck in order to get my attention as a manager. Mm. So with your C's, you don't fire like you don't top grade them all and just fire them. That is too draconian. What you do is you set you set very short term goals. And I mean, very so, and you don't let them dictate you dictate because what's happening with a C player is they're C players are typically used to losing. Losing is momentum's a hell of a thing. You know what I mean? And when you lose and you lose and you lose and you lose, you kind of get used to losing. So what you need to do with a C player is you have to get them back on the winning track. So what you do is you set very short. So Derek, Hey, um, can you make 50 dials today? Do you think we can make 50? Just forget about meetings for a second here, Derek. Can you can you hit the 50 number? I can do that, John. Okay, great. End of the day. Derek, did you hit 50? Fucking A, man. Good job, right? Like you did it. Awesome. Tomorrow, Derek, of those 50 calls, do you think you can get through like five gatekeepers? Like, like five gatekeepers. Do you think you can try to figure out how to get through five gatekeepers? All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. how'd we do at the end of the day, Derek? Mm -hmm. I got through five. Awesome. Great job, man. All right, got it. tomorrow, do you think we could try to get one meeting? Like, what do you think? Do you think we can go for a it's meeting doable. today? It's doable. Cool. Awesome job. And you just micro celebrate so that you can start building the momentum in the other direction. Otherwise, you need to cut bait and leave. And if they're not coachable, that's when you cut bait, period. Like when somebody is not coachable and they are a C player, fuck off. That's what, that's when I won't even blink. You know what I mean? If I tell you to do something and I'm, I'm genuinely spending time to figure you out and you just kind of go through the motions, that's when I don't even, I don't even like, and I will say one more piece to this. This is why the empathetic sales leader needs to, unfortunately, well, fortunately, and, but kids are too sensitive, right? These days. Get the words out of my mouth. I didn't want to say it, but. Uh, no, nah, they're fucking pussies. I'm sorry. Like you could probably edit that if you want to, but, but no, like everybody's got a trophy, that whole shit. Like nobody's like, there's a few people again, don't want to name names. Like who used to work for me that when I would give them feedback, they, you, you would literally physically see them like cringe. And I'd be on the, I'd be like, Whoa, dude, are, are you okay? Like, is something wrong with your stomach? They just shut down in some cases and start making faces. And, and they'd be like, yeah. he'd be like, no, I, I'm fine. No, this is yeah. good. I, I like feedback. And I'd be like, fuck, <laughs> dude. Like, you look like you're about to have a heart attack right now. Like, I'm not going to fire you. I'm like, I'm literally just giving you direct feedback about something I want you to improve on. 
And so I think that is why hiring is so important because mm -hmm. you hire on coachability. You hire on coach. I'd take the kid who's coachable. You know what I used to do when I would hire is I'd bring you in and I'd do my interview with you. And then we'd set up a scenario where it was a cold call scenario. Right. And I would say, Hey, what, hey, Derek, what, what did you sell in the past? Like whatever your current job was, I'd be like, what Even do you better. sell? Mm -hmm. Cool. And sell I'd me say, that. Right, mm -hmm. Now what I'm going to do is I want you to go in the other room and I want you to, I want you to cold call me at this number. And, and, and I want you to, all you're trying to do is get a meeting with me for what you're currently selling. That's it. I don't want you to sell yourself. I want you to just get a meeting and I am your perfect prospect. Okay, go ahead. And so they'd go in the other room, they'd cold call me and we'd go through the role play, whatever. And then I'd bring them in and I'd say, all right, here's my feedback. Good, bad, blah, 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 blah. Now I want you to go back in that room. I want you to cold call me again, but this time you're selling my company. You're selling Thrive Networks at the time. And I am a perfect fit for what you need. I have computers and da, da, da. And again, all you're trying to do is get a meeting. If they went in the room and they applied my coaching and improved, I would usually hire them. Even if their first attempt was horrendous, like literally if it was the worst cold call I'd ever heard, right? But then I saw them take what I told them and apply it. And in, in the other scenario, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Demonstrating coachability. I will yep. take that kid all day long. Right, right. So right. I think that's why we need to change our lens here as leaders. We need to look for coachability. We need to work for, look for work ethic. We need to look for passion. I can teach skill. I can teach process. I can teach all that stuff. I can't teach drive. I can't teach coachability. I can't teach curiosity. And I can't teach passion. Mm. Well, John, this has been tremendous. I know we're running low on time and you have a lot to take care of. Thank you for taking us through so much. You've, uh, I think, given me gems to stew on for, for a while. So, uh, and I hope this isn't the last time we have you on the show. I hope to get you back. Yeah, Where should people uh, look you up and how can they find you? Yeah, I appreciate that. So, you know, we're all over the place. We rebranded recently to Sell Better by JB Sales. Um, so that's our website, sellbetter.xyz. Um, that's us on YouTube where you get a ton of free content there. Me personally, if you want to hit me up, it's uh, probably Instagram's the best way. Uh, LinkedIn, obviously, but I'm unfortunately, I've reached the cap of, of connections on LinkedIn. So I can't accept any more of 30,000. Low key brag. That's yeah, the <laughs> brag, right? No, but well, actually, I found out my number the other day, by the way. I'm uh, I was member on LinkedIn. I was member 36,541. Wow, dude. So you're uh, you're literally a goat in the LinkedIn OG, game. Yeah, OG <laughs> OG. So I can't accept, but you can follow me on LinkedIn, but uh, Instagram is actually where I do a ton of my one-on-one -on -one coaching. Yep. So yep. Um, John M as in Michael Barrows, that's my handle on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And that's actually my website too. And last but not least, we have our own podcast the make it happen Monday podcast that we have some fun on. So you can find us there on Spotify and iTunes. And all I love the interview with Chris Voss. That was, uh, was mind bending. It was yeah, awesome. That was probably my best. That, that That's our most downloaded one by far. And I'm trying to get him back on so we can do a round two on that one. Very good. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.